Hey guys, how you doing? It has been a very busy week for me. And I also think I'm coming down with what we here call the Ohio Valley crud. And basically that's just, I have a sinus infection. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm miserable. <laughs> All this weather change right now it's 70 degrees and sunny and we just had like 30 degrees and frigid cold so the Ohio Valley doesn't know what it wants to do as far as weather goes <laughs> but I am looking forward to doing today's story so I'm just gonna jump into it warning the following case depicts intense moments of gunfire as well as robbery and suicide listener discretion is advised decibel Stefan million Emil for short. Matasaranu was born July 19th, 1966 in Romania. He and his parents immigrated to Los Angeles in 1974 when he was around eight years old. He would later become an electrical engineer. Larry Eugene Phillips Jr. was born September 20th, 1970 in Los Angeles. And for the most part, he was a well-known repeat offender and one of his crimes included shoplifting. In 1989, the two would meet at Gold's Gym in Venice, California. They had a mutual fondness for bodybuilding and firearms. And this bond would lead to a nearly decade-long crime spree. On July 20th, 1993, they robbed an armored truck outside a first bank in Littleton, Colorado. They were then arrested in Glendale, California for operating a stolen vehicle. After searching the vehicle, police found two semi-automatic rifles, two handguns, 1,600 rounds of rifle ammo, 1,200 rounds of handgun ammo, radio scanners, smoke bombs, IEDs, or improvised explosive devices, and body armor vests and three different California license plates. For all of that, they only spent a hundred days in jail and had three years probation. Oh yeah, and all their confiscated items ended up being returned to them except for the guns and firearms. Because why not, right? I mean, they didn't have those for any reason. They just liked them. 
on June 14, 1995, they ambushed a Brinks armored vehicle, killing one of the guards and seriously wounding the other. In May of 1996, they robbed two branches of Bank of America in the San Fernando Valley. They managed to walk away from those two branches with $1.5 million. On the morning of February 28, 1997, the two would take phenobarbital, which is a sedative, to calm their nerves. Phillips then donned nearly 40 pounds of equipment, including a load-bearing vest, a bulletproof vest, and groin guard, and homemade armor, including shin guards, forearm and thigh guards, among others. Emil wore a bulletproof vest, but added a metal ballistics plate to guard vital organs. Each man had sewn a watch onto the back of a glove so they could keep track of their timing. They drove a white 1987 Chevy Celebrity up to a Bank of America branch at the intersection of Laurel Canyon Boulevard and Archwood Street in North Hollywood around 9.16 a.m. They set their watch alarms for eight minutes, which was their estimated police response time. However, as they were walking in, they were spotted by two LAPD officers who called in the possible robbery in progress. Once they entered the building, they opened fire into the ceiling in an attempt to scare the bank staff and customers into compliance. The security guard inside radioed his partner, who was in the parking lot, to call the police, but that call was never received. Emil was then able to shoot open the bulletproof door and gain access to the tellers and the vault. They forced the manager, assistant manager, to open the vault and fill their money bag. Now, the bank had recently changed their delivery schedule, so they didn't have as much cash as the robbers had intended for them to have. And this really angered Emil, and he then fired a full drum magazine of 75 rounds into the safe, destroying whatever money was in it. Then he attempted to break into the ATM, but the branch managers didn't have access to that anymore. So they were only able to lock the hostages in the bank vault and leave with a measly $303,000 and three die packs that would explode and ruin the money. At the same time, all of that was going on, the first responding officers heard the gunshots, called in the, gu the, the gunshots, and then took cover 
behind their cruiser. All the while, more officers and detectives started showing up and establishing a perimeter. At about 9.24 a.m., Phillips came out the north doorway and almost immediately saw the police cruiser 200 feet away. So he opened fire for several minutes. He would wound seven officers and three civilians. He also fired on the police helicopter, which would force it to withdraw to a safer distance. He then briefly retreated back inside, most likely to reload, then came right back out the same door while Emil came out the south exit. They fired sporadic bursts into the patrol cars in front of the bank and in the parking lot across the street. Now, most of the officers were only armed with the standard-issued 9mm Beretta pistol, a 38 special revolver, and a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. It didn't take the police long to realize their weapons were no match for the body armor, and most of the service pistols were insufficient for long-range distances. About 10 to 15 minutes into the shootout, Officers were heard on the radio saying not to stop the getaway vehicle because they had automatic weapons and the police had nothing that could stop them. This then led several officers to a nearby gun store to requisition five AR-15 style rifles. Officers were able to shoot Phillips with their handguns while he was firing and taking cover adjacent to the north wall of the bank. One officer, in particular, was able to fire 86 9mm rounds at Phillips and is believed to have hit him during the exchange. That same officer drew fire on himself to aid two wounded officers as they were not adequately covered. Phillips would receive a gunshot wound to his left wrist as Emil pulled the Chevy Celebrity out of the parking space. At the same time, LAPD was able to shoot the rifle that Phillips was using, making it unusable due to a bullet going through the receiver. So Phillips threw that rifle down. And just grabbed a new assault rifle from the trunk of the car. 18 minutes into the shooting, the SWAT team showed up with more AR-15s. They had been on an exercise run when they had gotten the call and were wearing running shoes and shorts under their body armor. So, we haven't talked much about what Emil is doing during all of this. And so, it turns out that at some point, he was shot in the right butt cheek, the right leg, and the left forearm. 
He was also shot above his upper right eye, which caused him to duck behind the hood of the getaway vehicle. This is when he leaves the duffel bag of money and just gets in the car. As he's driving, Phillips is walking alongside the car, still firing at police. He's using the car as a moving shield. As he approached the passenger side, he was hit in the shoulder. After firing a few more shots with one arm, he changed weapons. Now, this is Phillips we're talking about. At 9.52 a.m., Phillips turned east on Archwood Street, where he took cover behind a parked semi. He would continue to fire at police until his rifle jammed. Because of the shot to his left wrist, he was unable to clear the jam, so he dropped the rifle and grabbed his Beretta 92FS pistol. He fired it until he was shot in the right hand, which caused him to drop the gun. After picking it up, he placed the muzzle under his chin and fired. As he fell, he was shot in the upper torso, severing his spine. Either bullet may have been the kill shot. Officers continued to shoot Phillips' body several times while he was on the ground. Once the firing had stopped, officers surrounded him, handcuffed him, even though he was clearly dead, and then removed his ski mask. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, that was overkill. But put yourself in that situation and if you have someone firing at you, continuous rounds, nonstop, for almost an hour, you're not going to stop shooting right away either. We forget that police officers are human. They're not superheroes. They bleed. They grieve. They make mistakes, just like the rest of us. This wasn't a mistake. This was part of their protocol. They were in a kill or be killed situation. And they were not completely sure that it was over with this one. And that's why they continued to fire. They didn't know if he was just pretending that he was dead at the time. Or if he was actually dead. Now, why did they have to put the handcuffs on him? That was and is still the procedure for this type of violence. The whole time this is going on, the Chevy celebrity is now inoperable after two of the tires got shot out. At 9.56 a.m., Emil attempted to carjack a 1963 Jeep Gladiator on Archwood by shooting at the driver. 
who then fled on foot. He transferred all his weapons and ammo into the Jeep, but then couldn't make the Jeep run because the driver engaged the electrical kill switch. Smart driver. News helicopters were flying around at this point and airing everything as it happened. It was live. As a SWAT car came down, Emil took cover behind the Chevy and engaged them in two and a half minutes of nearly uninterrupted gunfire. His chest armor deflected a double tap from one of the officers. That same officer fired his AR-15 under the cars and hit Emil in his unprotected lower legs. At that point, he was unable to continue the fight and put his hands up to surrender. Standard procedure for this situation is that EMS does not enter the scene until it is cleared and no longer a threat. The police radioed for the ambulance, but the EMS refused to enter due to Emil still swearing and trying to get the police to shoot him. So it was not a secured site. Because of this, he was still considered dangerous which meant the area was still a hot zone, unsecured, and Emil would end up dying before the ambulance could get to him. There was a civil suit filed against several officers for the death of Emil. It ended in a hung jury, which resulted in a mistrial. Later reports would show that Emil had been shot 29 times in the legs and died from excessive blood loss from two specific shots to his left thigh. Almost the entire incident was broadcast live. Over 300 officers responded. By the time all was said and done, Phillips and Matasaranu fired around 1,100 rounds. The police only fired 650. Phillips was shot 11 times, including the self-inflicted gunshot wound. 12 officers and 8 civilians were injured. This case is the biggest reason why police Officers nationwide are now armed with semi-automatic rifles. Seven months after the shootout, the Department of Defense, or DOD, gave 600 surplus M16 rifles to the LAPD and issued them to each patrol sergeant. LAPD patrol vehicles began carrying AR-15s as standard issue, with bullet-resistant Kevlar plating in their doors as well. They also started to allow officers to carry 45 ACP pistols as sidearms. 
the LAPD and other departments nationwide now use the media coverage as training videos for all officers, including SWAT. In 2003, the movie 44 Minutes, The North Hollywood Shootout, starring Michael Madsen and Ron Livingston, was produced. I've watched and rewatched the videos on YouTube. And I don't I don't really see anything the police could have done differently. They were out armed and even they admitted it during the shootout. I do have questions though. Did Emil and Phillips intend to have the shootout or did the police catch them by surprise? If they didn't intend to have the shootout, then why did they have so much ammo and armor? This concludes the story of what is now called the North Hollywood Shootout. And it's amazing that no one other than the suspects died. Please remember to follow and share the podcast, especially on Spotify, as I am still working toward my goals. Uh, If you haven't heard, the goals are, if I get 50 Spotify followers, I will do a sour candy challenge. 100 followers, and I will do the bean boozled challenge. And if the show gets monetized, meaning I will reach a thousand listeners in 60 days, I will do a spicy food challenge. I will do all of these during a live on the True Crime and Whatnot podcast Facebook page. Um, I'm debating on doing a Twitch channel. I did start a YouTube channel and it's currently under my name um, which is Tanya Ratliff and that's T-A-N-Y-A R-A-T-L-I-F-F and you'll know the videos because they have true crime and whatnot on them. They're not actual videos, they're just the audio right now. But I'm camera shy, so I haven't decided if I want to actually do the podcasts as video podcasts. But you guys are welcome to let me know your opinions. You can reach me at Facebook anytime. And I always have polls up. So, feel free to take part in those. But, that's all for me today, guys. Other than that, stay true and whatnot. Bye.